Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. This is a storytelling podcast. I am your host, Diana Catherine Plopa, and this is where we share every week on Friday a new story. Some of them are adult stories, and some of them are little kid stories, and somewhere, sometimes, there are some in between. So uh, let's take a look now at who our guest is. We're having Mackenzie Floor join us today. Mackenzie is the award-winning author of the young adult fantasy series, The Rite of Wands. A storyteller at heart, she loves to inspire the imagination. Mackenzie makes her home in Michigan, where she is currently penning her next adventure. Mackenzie, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure. I love these because... I don't know about you, but one of my favorite times about being a youngster was library day when I got to enjoy stories. Um, so that's what we're doing now is we're reviving that idea of story time at the library. I love that. I, I totally remember being when it was elementary school. It was one of my favorite things when Mrs. Keller at Carnet Ward would come in and sit and sit and bring a some type of story. So it's, I love that time. Yeah. Me too. That's why I'm bringing it back to the world. This is 100% selfish on my part. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, Today, you're going to be reading from Rite of Wands, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, So I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about the book. Um, This is the Back Matter synopsis, just to make it easy on myself. One boy, one right and a world of deadly secrets that could change the course of history forever. And so begins the tale of Mayerta McKinnon. McKinnon? McKinnon, yeah. McKinnon. Um, When a horrible fate reveals itself during his rite of wands ceremony, he must find a way to change not only his destiny, but also the land of Avernas. Forbidden from revealing the future he foresees to anyone, He is granted a wand and his magical powers, but still must master the realm of magic in order to save himself and those he loves. But Mayerta is not the only one with secrets, especially when it's impossible to know who to trust. This sounds really interesting. Um, Just before we start, two questions for you. This is young adult fantasy, correct? It is. Awesome. And then the second question I've been asking all of my guests is, what was your favorite part about writing this story? Ooh, that's kind of a tough one. 
because I'm still writing in that universe because this is a multi-book series. So I would have to say it was probably creating the character of Mirta and going through his journey because he is not just a black and white type of character. He can, he kind of is sporadic. So he goes off and he'll do things that I want you to think as, as I'm Penny, I'm like, okay, Mirta, you, you tell me, you dictate the story to me. That's, <laughs> that's basically what he does. <laughs> it's, it's one of the nice things about being an author. We can be gently schizophrenic and not be um, socially shunned for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're ready, if you would please read aloud. Sure. So chapter one, Draconeer Mountain, the Kingdom of Araceli, 1238 CE. Mirta McKinnon, the 12-year-old warlock, gave a start, hearing his name announced telepathically. Mirta stood up on shaky legs and brushed his brown bangs out of his green eyes. The room inside Draconeer Mountain was suffocating. Hot springs bubbling up from deep beneath the ground created a dense fog, which pushed down on Mirta's shoulders. Sweat was already dripping from his brow onto his long, dark, royal blue robe. His heart raced as he approached a large wooden door. He occasionally glanced over at others who were anxiously awaiting their turn, wondering which of those he made eye contact with would succeed. No matter what happens, no matter what I see, I cannot allow my fears to overcome me, Mirta told himself. I will achieve what I have come to do. I cannot fail. I won't. I will make mom and father proud. A loud creaking echoed across the room and the ground shook underneath his feet. Two, wall, two tall wooden doors opened up to a pathway of complete darkness. Step inside, you heard the dragon say. Myrta swallowed hard and expelled air through his mouth. Upon entering the pathway, a warm mist rose from below. Water splashed against rocks and occasional water droplets hit his skin. A faint glow shone in the near distance. He walked towards the glow until he found himself in a large circular cavern. In the center of his cavern was a short round pedestal. An opening off towards the right looked like it was open air. And off to the left side was another doorway, which was currently closed. Myrta gazed up at the source of the glow and caught a glimpse of the magnificent creature standing on a rock, rocky ledge. He could hear his pulse beating in his ears. He felt as if his body was paralyzed, yet he felt unsteady. His own rapid breathing masked the sound of Lord Cato stepping into the light. Myrta gasped, shielding his eyes against the bright yellow light from Lord Cato's wings trying to conquer his fear. When his eyes adjusted, he noted the ebony veins, a trace of pattern, like the rivers in the valley. The veins seemed to pulse of power. Mercado, Mirta uttered, bowing, keeping his eyes averted to the ground. Lord Cato was the last of his kind, an ancient breed of telepathic dragons that had been around for longer than any could remember. The residents of the kingdom looked at him as if he were a god straight from the stories of old. Myrta McKinnon, rise, he spoke. It is your time to participate in the Rite of Wands, 
in which your soul shall face the ultimate analysis. You'll be taken on a journey of your lifetime, viewing portions of your past, present, and future. Do you accede? Yes, Myrta answered, his voice breaking. The Rite of Wands was a tradition among witches and warlocks when they reached their 12th birthday. It was a ceremony which, once completed, would signify their initiation into the magical community, therefore, or thereby, allowing them to start practicing making potions and casting spells. I will not fail. I cannot fail, Mirta recited to himself. Very well, Lord Cato nodded, pleased. The right of wand shall commence. Lord Cato lifted his hat upwards and blew fire from his mouth. Mirta lifted his hands to cover his face. When he heard the sound of the bolt slide open from the other side of the room, Mirta lowered his hands to watch as the door opened with a loud, loud creak. Dragomir will be assisting me with the ritual, Lord Cato said as he looked towards the warlock who was entering the room. Out stepped a warlock wearing tall black boots, a black tunic with a gold lacing, royal blue breeches, and a long sleeved white linen shirt. His face was hidden behind an orange and golden mask shaped like a gold, like a dragon's head. The warlock raised his right hand into the air and shouted, Farina Algit! A lightning bolt crashed down beside him, followed by the sound of drums beating, which gradually became louder until it matched every thump of Myrta's frantic heart. While the door closed behind him, Dragomir walked to the edge of the room and bowed to the dragon. The drums abruptly stopped. The warlock bowed his head toward Myrta. Mircha glanced back, not reassured. His appearance may look frightening, but do not fear, Lord Cato continued. I assure you, he is only here to help me perform the magic, which is tiring for me. Now, Mirta, keep your eyes upon mine at all times. You may feel a tangling sensation as I investigate your essence. He turned toward the warlock. Dragomir, you may begin, wand at the ready. Mirta watched Dragomir raise his wand and hold it out towards him. He took in a deep breath. He had heard stories about the Rite of Wands, but it was forbidden for anyone to discuss specifics of their individual ritual. With little knowledge he had told him, the ceremony represented a kind of test for either he would be accepted as a full member of the magical community or not. If he failed, there would be not another chance. He would become a Majulia, a magical person without his or her powers. The Julians were looked down on and lived the remainder of their lives as outcasts. The Rite of Wands began when Lord Cato entered his soul, but he did not know exactly what would happen. What he was about to see was a mystery, but how he endured would determine his fate. When Myrta stared into Lord Cato's golden amphibian eyes, they were not frightful as he expected. Instead, they appeared old and sad as though he had already knew what he was about to see. This sent a chill down Myrta's body. Lord Cato could see what Myrta's heart desired. There was both good and evil inside him, caused by a deep hurt that had yet to be mended. Please do not curse me to a life without magic, Myrta begged. At the same time, Dragomir shouted, Benis Ramatate! 
It did not take long before Myrta started to feel the effects of the spell. First, he experienced what felt like a dozen small black bugs crawling up his skin. His mind urged him to scratch to rid his body of them. He reached out a hand to scratch his left arm when suddenly Dragomir cast another spell. Gnoth! Myrta abruptly stopped. A small oof escaped his lips as he was promptly thrown backwards against the pedestal located directly behind him. He felt as if all the air was being released from his lungs, followed by intense pain, as though he had been punched in the stomach. Spear stars filled his vision. Dragomir watched the young warlock's eyes start to roll backward. He pointed his wand straight at Myrta's heart and stepped in closely to deliver the final blow. There was no hesitation in Dragomir's movements or guilt in his eyes. He swung his hand around in a large circle and shouted, Draculomos! Myrta gasped and his eyes refocused. He was rewarded with air returning to his lungs. He took in several deep breaths, treasuring them as if they were going to be his last. He closed his eyes and reopened them just in time to see a set of arms and hands appear attached and demon-like. They were the color of misty gray mixed with black. As the disembodied parts littered toward him like a snake moaning, sound emancipated from them. He must have cast a spell that causes hallucinations. How brilliant! I reckon as long as I don't give in to the fear, I'll get through this, Mirta thought. Mirta wanted to break the trance. However, he was determined not to show the dragon any weakness. One day he was certain he would become the most powerful warlock in Avarna. He would do wonders for the magical community while he sought vengeance for the crime committed against his mother. His body, body trembled while the hands crawled up his legs. His pulse increased again and his bre breathing became uneven once he felt them slither underneath his breeches. They climbed up his legs and made their way under his full shirt until they reached his chest. Then they stopped. Lord Cato, near to under between breaths. What? A high pitching ringing filled his ears. The world before him rapidly spun and transformed into white, puffy clouds. He rolled his eyes into the back of his head and his knees buckled as darkness engulfed him. Chapter two, Cognac Castle, the Kingdom of Vandalay, 1238 CE. In the land of Averna, among vast farmland, deciduous woodland covered in wild garlic and rocky meadows, resided a kingdom of men called Vandalay. Over time, the kingdom had become recognized for its short-tempered king and its arrogant and no-nonsense prince. Wild, rather than its abundant wildlife, varied crops, and flourishing economy. Tiberius paced in front of King Francis' private apartment where the King of Vandalay was enjoying some quiet time alone in the dining area. Your Grace, I've come to ask you for... No, still not right. How did it go again? Tiberius questioned with labored breath, stopping abruptly to wipe his hands. He could hear his pulse pounding in his ears. He glanced down the hallway, taking note of the paintings by various artists trying to calm himself. Sweat ran down his back underneath his deep red robe. He strengthened the vestments of his religious attire and tried to keep stop his knees from knocking together. His footsteps echoed as he again nervously paced the stone floors. Sunlight shone through a narrow window, 
highlighting his anguished face. How did what go, father? Orlin asked, filled with bewilderment. You said his grace wished to see me. His grace did not exactly say it, but do not fear, his mind will change. You brought your wand with you, did you not? Tiberius questioned. I, but I don't understand. Never mind, Tiberius interrupted. It may be necessary to have. Tiberius returned to his research, her speech. Your grace, I've been blessed by God. Yes, that'll be sufficient. He breathed deeply and placed his hand over the door lever. Certainly, if he could return to God's good graces after committing an unforgivable sin, so then couldn't he once again find the king's forgiveness? He turned the lever and pushed, only to find it locked. Halt! Right there! yelled Thomas, one of the king's guard on duty, spying Tiberius and Orlin. You cannot enter! Tiberius and Orlin stopped. Tiberius leaned in and whispered, Orland, when you see me gesture to you with my hand, I need you to cast a charm on the lock to unlock His Majesty's private apartments. I will distract the guard. But father, I don't think, Orland began. Tiberius turned to see a young man dressed in a gold tunic with blue, dark blue leggings underneath approaching them. The crest of the kingdom was on his breast. I beg your pardon, Tiberius smiled, with only the corners of his lips turned upward. He cleared his throat. The sound echoed down the hall. A rush of heat traveled to Orland's face. The guard narrowed his eyes. The king is not to be disturbed. Tiberius, smiling with a closed mouth, turned to the guard. He said politely, oh, forgive me, I did not catch your name. Thomas, the guard answered matter-of-factly. Tiberius concluded the best way to distract the guard was by means of reasoning. Thomas, my good fellow, I believe there has been a misunderstanding. I seek an audience with his grace. My son Orlin has something of great value. No, I do not, Orlin protested. Tiberius raised his hand to silence his son. Thomas briefly eyed the boy suspiciously, then glanced back at Tiberius. He continued, there is no mistake, your eminence. His majesty has stated you are not welcome in his court. You both must follow me now quietly or you'll be arrested for treason. Orlin felt his heart start to race at the announcement. Father, he begged, fearing his father would cause further disgrace. Please? Tiberius glanced at his son. Very well then, lead the way. Tiberius smiled in an annoying self-satisfied manner. He took a few steps forward and stopped. He waited until the guard had turned his back towards them before gesturing to his son. Orlin's eyes grew wide as he watched his father make a fist with his right hand and rotate it around three times counterclockwise before bending his fist downward and stopping. Orlin shook his head. Again, he was met with a skull. Orlin felt sweat now dripping the back of his robe. He did not have the courage to stand up to his father. He sighed deeply and nodded in defeat and removed from the inside of his robe a lignum vitae wooden wand with a satire mana quartz crystal fused at the shaft. Turning to face the door, he pointed his wand towards the door lever. With a frown, he whispered, Obuche Foriando. The sound of a lock unbolting met his ears, shortly following by the sound of obnoxious creaking as the door opened on its own. Tiberius turned around, smiling approvingly. Quickly, son. Halt! Thomas yelled, pursuing them. They swiftly moved inside the king's private apartment. 
trio found themselves in a large room. The thick, richly decorated rug stretching from wall to wall muffled their footsteps as they entered. Heavy royal red drapes hung from the top of the two floor to ceiling windows. These had been pulled back and the windows hung open to allow a slight breeze to cool the room. The sparse furnishing, including two writing desks and chairs made of a dark walnut wood. Orly was most impressed with the quartet of floor to ceiling shelves filled with books on either side of a doorway at the far end of the room. You can only imagine the stories and information contained within them. The king, hearing the distraction, approached from another room, pulling on a long gray silk dressing gown with gold accents on the sleeve and tying a belt around his waist. What is the meaning of this? He glared at his guard and sneered. His shoulder-length curly brown hair looked voluminous and slightly disheveled. Thomas, unless my memory has failed me, which it has not, I commanded you to keep the door locked. The guard abruptly bowed to the king. I am so sorry, your grace, Thomas said, staring, trying to regain his composure. I told them you were not to be disturbed. I made no mistake in locking the door. It was the boy, sir. He is a warlock. The king raised a hand and silenced Thomas. He quickly glanced over to the boy and dismissed Thomas's accusation. Turning his attention to Tiberius, he spoke with an assertive, no-nonsense tone. Tiberius O'Brien, I thought I had made myself clear. You and your family were to return to Adesia immediately. Yes, Tiberius said with an apolic tone. A thousand party pardons, your grace. I wanted, I should have you locked up in the dungeons of Tarla Castle for your insubordination. How dare you disturb me while I am in my prior chambers? Tiberius dropped to his knees and lowered himself to the ground, his oily black hair brushing the king's shoes. Forgive me, your majesty, I beg of you. Please allow me to explain. I have found you a new advisor. Francis eyed the 16-year-old boy standing behind Tiberius. What is this mockery? Do you take me for a, a, a fool, Chancellor? No, your grace, Tiberius answered nervously as he raised himself from the ground and kissed the king's hand. I assure you, this is no jest. Tiberius took in a deep breath took another glance at the boy and studied his appearance. He looked nothing like the man standing beside him. He was thin, had ginger brown hair and deep piercing brown eyes. In fact, he reminded him more of himself when he was a young prince, minus the eyes and the hair, of course. Would he be? Nay, that's it, impossible. The king's heart took a sudden thump as he was instantly reminded of one of his beloved advisors, Celeste who had been considered a confidant and close friend before she passed unexpectedly. This cannot be, yet the resemblance is uncanny. Boy's parentage is unquestionable. Francis shot Orland a look. He had to scrutinize him and discover the truth. What is your name, boy? The king inquired. Oh, oh Orland, your grace, Orland replied between swallows. His voice closed up, preventing him from speaking. His breathing increased, and sweat began to drop down the side of his face. The king's eyes grew wide, and his heart softened. He recognized the Loris Burr, his former advisor, was also from the nation of Lavrina. There could be no mistaking it now. You are a Celeste boy, are you not, Orland? Francis asked. 
I, Orlin confirmed, nodding his head. Orlin didn't see why the king asked him the question. All he knew was that his mother had once served as the advisor to the king. King turned into disbelief, glanced upward, tears filling his eyes, recalling the smile on her face when she had formed him. She was with child. You were so happy. I was so delighted for you. I never understand why you chose to hide the real truth from me. Orlin's heart began to race. Had he offended the king? Should I be rid of him, your grace? Thomas questioned. Leave us! King abruptly shouted, startling Orlin. Uh, yes, your grace, Thomas bowed, speaking no further, and took his leave, shutting the door behind him. That's 20 minutes. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for that spectacular reading. I'm sure everyone will be very interested to hear the rest of the story or read the rest of the story. And you can find that book um, on our show notes. There's a link to Mackenzie's website there and also a link to buy the book on Amazon. Mackenzie, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And we'll see you again next time on Indie Reads Aloud. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.